0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Right Way Podcast with me, your host, Sam Elliott. First and foremost, happy Mardi Gras, albeit the residual happy Mardi Gras to anyone that attended last night, the festivities last night, or watched them on television. Hope everyone's head isn't too sore today. Uh, In the interim, today, I'm going to be chatting with a debut novelist, a man by the name of Seth Robinson. He's coming to me to talk about his book, Welcome to Bellevue, his debut novel, which is a great little gem of a novel that's not immediately or easily classifiable, but the back says that Welcome to Bellevue is a fantasy action adventure story, which is actually quite a good succinct description there. Um, Seth Robinson is a writer, American-born, Melbourne-based writer and editor, and he is going to be discussing with me his debut novel, Welcome to Bellevue. So everyone, please give a big digital round of applause to Seth, Now coming on the program to chat with me about Welcome to Bellevue. Seth Robinson, thank you so much for joining me on the Right Way program. How are you going today, man?
1: Very well. Thank you for having me here.
0: Good, 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 good. All right. I want to start off with an oldie, but a goodie. Uh, Where did the idea for Welcome to Bellevue originate from? What was the genesis?
1: Welcome to Bellevue is kind of a funny one in (laughs) that um, it originally started as a dream I had while staying at my parents' house. Um, And in that initial version, it was a very kind of Terry Pratchett, surreal, kind of almost comedy of a novel. Um, That is not the way the final edition ended up, but a lot of those kind of surreal fantastical elements stayed in there through the whole story. Um, It's also just kind of, I guess, my love letter to like writing and being creative in a lot of ways. It's something that I had a lot of fun working on. And, you know, for anyone who's a bit of a literary or movie nerd, reading that novel, there's a lot of kind of Easter eggs and stuff in there. Um, I've really tried to kind of draw on other literary universes and bring all that together. So a lot of that fed the ideas. So as it kind of came, it was a little bit of a self-generating cycle in a way where I'd have one cool idea and be like, that'll tie in really well. And that would give birth to something else.
0: Awesome. It does always kind of like aggregate like that, doesn't it? Where you get these these little, these little modicums of good ideas and then it all just kind of sort of flourishes into this beautiful sort of tapestry after a lot of pain and trial
1: and error, I guess. I agree completely. And I think, you know, there's that age-old writer argument of plotter or pantser. I'm definitively a pantser where I, on that first draft, am telling myself the story. I think, mm. you know, it's just kind of like of sitting there with your keyboard and hacking it out and figuring out what works, what doesn't, what you like. Um, and then the second draft is where it changes a lot. You know, one of the big changes for Welcome to Bellevue is that it was, that it was originally written in third person. Um, and then my editor came back and was like, oh, we should you know, make it first person. It's very closely tied to Harry's experience. And so we did that. And that, of course, led down another rabbit hole. And there were all sorts of changes that sprung from suddenly being more directly in his mind.
0: I did say that you did um, mention that and the acknowledgements about the changing from um, to the to from third to first person. I was also wondering. It's interesting that you mentioned that you're a panther because I must say, when I read it, I didn't think that. And that kind of dovetails nicely into my next question because I was going to ask about the geography of Bellevue itself because it seems. Like, I was wondering if you had yourself constructed maps or looked at, I don't know, schematics or township, other, other sort of blueprints in order to kind of eventually weave this all together or what? Because if you were panting it, then yeah, that's interesting. So that you didn't do that, Seth? Is that something that you changed later? or
1: It's funny, you know, you've zeroed in on something really cool there. So in my mind, Bellevue was one of the first things that kind of snapped into being. I had this mm. very clear mental image of I guess an aerial view map of the town in my mind, you know, kind of from that first day one. Um, I like knew there was a dock. I knew there was kind of a carnival setup on said dock. I knew about the cable cars and all the other forest and, you know, without giving away too much for those who haven't read it, the geography was there. That said, after I wrote that first draft, that same editor came back to me and was like, Hey, I need a little bit more clarity about this. So I actually did sketch a map at that point. Okay. Um, I don't think anyone has seen that map beyond me. But I did sit down and do a sketch and I am not a visual artist, so it's incredibly rough and raw. But I did that sketch and then as I worked through that next rewrite and those drafts, that was something I referred back to so that you know I could make it clearer in that writing. Okay. Talk about the
0: clearerness of, of, of making it clearer then, because I feel like yeah, I get the impression that you've done you've done a lot of work on the actual geography of Bellevue. What was it that you needed to do to get it right? Because you you've, I feel like within this realm, you have gotten it right. But I think that that in itself is a challenge to, to navigate all this geography and weave that in together. Plus, obviously, the many kind of colourful denizens
1: of Bellevue as well. I think a part of it was just being a little bit explicit, more explicit in some of those initial descriptions. You know, mm. saying things like such and such a building was west such and such a building was south. Um, You know, one of the comments that Harry makes very early on in the piece is that he's shocked by the sun setting on the side it's setting. And it makes him realize he's on a different side of the coast to where he's come from. Um, So, you know, that moment's really pretty crucial in terms of creating that compass. So I think that was something I kind of had to keep in mind is in terms of orienting things against the ocean and against the mountains. The scene for Bellevue is such a huge part of the story, as you've kind of touched on there, I did feel like it was something I had to get right. Cause in a lot of ways it is a character in itself. Hmm. Um, And that, you know, is one of the reasons the title is what it is as well Is this was the working title. And I was always kind of like, Oh, it'll probably change when we get to publication or wherever this book ends up going. and it did change. We had a couple of goes at other titles, but none of them worked quite as well because none of them captured that essence of, I say, towniness, because, you know, that's what Bellevue is. It's this weird sentient, almost little town that captures people.
0: Interesting. And look, You've talked about the town and the township and the shaping of that. What about the characters themselves, um, Seth? Because there is, there is, for quite a... Um, trim sort of uh, 275 300 page novel there's quite a large uh, array of different characters all of them disparate like none of them are samey and I wondered how you went about kind of corralling all of them because they all have kind of speaking roles as it were and all of them kind of none of them feel or something like they're all kind of tied to the overarching story as, as you know trying to figure out the mystery as Harry sort of progresses and this procession kind of interacts with him how did you go about doing that as well?
1: The characters were one of those things that I was playing with. You know, I mentioned at the beginning there that, you know, this was kind of my little love letter to writing. And a big part of that was play. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the idea that writers play when they engage in their manuscripts. And, you know, you think about not wanting to be too cliche a writer, or you're not wanting to do something that's been done before. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. You know, we have to be new and we have to be inventive. But at the same time, you know, there's older stories, there's old characters that people are used to. They're a fun thing to play with. They're a fun mm. thing to flip. Um, so a lot of those characters in Bellevue are characters that you may have seen in other books. They're characters that you may have seen in other movies. And I wanted to play with them. I wanted to tweak them. I wanted to you know, kind of have those little homages or like quirky little connections in there. So, you know, one of the characters who you see a lot of is Dean, mm. who's the bartender at the hotel. And Dean, you know, he was born from the stereotypical bartender in his waistcoat who's willing to lend a sympathetic ear and hear your miseries. But then also there's something a little bit sinister about him. There's something a little bit weird. There's he's a product of his environment. So that's kind of an example of what I went with there is I took the cliche and then I wanted to play with it and make it different and make it original and make it fun.
0: Let's keep talking about this, this taking the cliche, because I think that's something that uh, is innately essential about doing that is knowing the genre. So I take it that you, uh, have not grown up and nor in your free time do you read, I I don't know, high fantasy or something. Is this this like a, something that's been created out of a product of of the genre that you love and you've, you've known intimately in order to get it right first and then obviously put your own hand to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I think that the most important thing we can do, not just as writers or readers, but as people is like, you know, try to hear different stories. Hmm. Um, we should expose ourselves to everything we can, whether that's genre or literary. And I have to admit, I'm a huge fan of audio books because you know, now when I walk my dog and ride my bike, I can get through twice as many books as I would if I was just reading and I can force myself to engage with other texts. Um, Bellevue itself was, yeah, I guess, kind of a, a tweak on small town noir or mm-hmm. mysteries. And, you know, I also love ghost stories. I'm a you know big fan of the supernatural and magic realism. Um, I think that there's some incredible stories that kind of come from the Latin American sphere in that genre. And so these were all things that I was thinking about. You know, it's funny. I'm so pleased in a way that you think there's such a nice neat genre around Bellevue because that's actually been kind of one of the hardest things in terms of getting it out there and getting it marketed and getting people to read it. Is that it's a little bit tough. You know, the Mm -hmm. publisher and I have spoken, they've been like, well, what genre is it? And I always kind of say it's a mystery with some paranormal magic realist twist. But then, you know, we initially tried to market it as fantasy, which if you look at the dictionary definition of fantasy, it kind of is, but isn't really the high fantasy that most people associate that with, with dragons and swords and magic. So it's, yeah, it's a funny one. I would call it a small-town noir mystery with some some weird magic bent, maybe. Not so much magic, but paranormal.
0: I think that's a pretty well, it's a succinct way of, of putting it. It's tough, isn't it? Because especially when you're writing and you're trying to, uh, as much as kind of, you know, lovingly give homage to, to uh, great genres or great works within these sort of genres, however opaque they are, there's still some semblance of, you know, if you want to write something original there and thereafter it's therein lies the rub because it's difficult to try and then classify and pitch to publishers albeit to, you know, to the consumer public and say, well, it's kind of this genre, but it's sort of not. And yeah. So, so that's something that what the, you, you faced ultimately after writing it was trying to, trying
1: to classify it, I guess. Absolutely. And um, I mean, if you go on the Goodreads page now, there's a few comments where people are like, man, I picked this up because it said it was fantasy but it's not really a fantasy and it's not young adult, but I don't know what it is. And, you know, they seem to have had a bit of trouble with that, but the prevailing comment that goes with that seems to be, you know, I liked it. It was, I enjoyed reading it. So that's not an issue. Um, I have always been a big believer in like, you know, writing the book I want to read. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't do this if it wasn't fun, you know? So I guess a lot of the time I'm guess yeah i don't just want to read the same book over and over again and a big way that you play with that is getting that venn diagram of different genres and kind of mixing and matching those circles
0: awesome let's t- let's talk about characters for a sec because i feel like granted there might be you know whenever you try to write something original there's always going to be problems of trying to classify it but i think that there's one thing that no matter what no matter who reads it is that the characters themselves are relatable uh, i want to talk about harry first because then i'm going to lean on to something else as well but With Mm -hmm. Harry, and I'm always interested with writers writing writer characters. And you mentioned about uh, you know trying to avoid sort of cliches, uh, you know, across the board, but with characters as well. And I think you've done that quite well, Seth, with with the Harry character as a writer. But I wanted to know if that was something that that kind of came effortlessly, or if it was something that you had to kind of contrive to do because. He's a writer, but we don't say it's not so much beaten over the head um, with that, particularly for the first, you know, I'd say 75% of the, of the novel until we kind of find out a little bit of what's going on. So was, was Harry always going to be a writer? And if so, then what sort of tropes did you try and avoid? Or how did that all sort of work out for you in the,
1: in the writing and the washing at all? Harry being a writer, a big part of it actually kind of came down to me wanting to give him that investigative nature you know, it was part of wanting him to move forward, wanting him to push. Um, So when I first drafted, I think he was more of a hardline journalist. And then I kind of liked the idea of expanding it a little bit more and making it that he, you know, he'd done some of that work. And perhaps that was there, but then also that he was, you know, a little bit more creative. Um, It also served well in terms of him being quite an isolated character, because I liked this idea that You know, maybe people hadn't really tuned into the fact he's missing. Mm. Maybe it does take a few days before someone's like, hey, I haven't heard from Harry in a while. What's going on? Um, So it wasn't actually a case of me being like, I want him to be a writer. This is really important. It was more a case of, you know, these elements kind of come together and then, hey, this character works as a writer. You know, Mm. these things stack up and it makes sense that way. And then, of course, as the story grew and evolved and, you know those elements that come together on the end as you touched on hmm. it kind of was one of those cases of it all falling together in one of those nice mental clicks where i'm like hey this works um again that case of being a pantser versus a plotter you know i don't think he started as either of those things i think he was just a dude initially and then after a go at writing it i was like hey actually no, we, let's do some work on harry interesting
0: so Harry's, Harry's certainly the only writer, but he's not the only character. And well, yeah, I should say he's the only writer, ostensibly, uh, but he's certainly not the only character. And I think another thing that you did well and it does harken back to what I did touch on with the characters being relatable, is that I think that you've created a setting that's obviously in many ways, like otherworldly, but the characters themselves, wants, needs, emotions, feelings, always kind of ring true. Um, best example of that. I never know how to pronounce this name, but Zanfi, 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 yeah. Zanfi, Zanfi, Um, Yeah, her feelings. Uh, no spoilers, but um, I mean, there's, it's alluded to on the back of the the blurb, so mm-hmm. listeners can you know deduce from that. But yeah, there was always these 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 sort of in between this sort of uh, weird interactions with all these you know smiling denizens that were watching uh harry there were still these moments of of poignancy of rawness uh ultimately and relatability and i wondered if again if that was a contrived thing or if that was something that you know it just happened seamlessly just understanding your characters was it something that you developed through redrafts or what how did how did that kind of go
1: there Seth? xanthia was always a really important character from day (laughs) dot um and I'll admit, it took me a little while to figure her out and to work on her. Um, you know, initially, she was not the character she is now, just in terms of it took me a little while to understand her myself. Um, I think at the end of my first draft, you know, I got to the end and I knew that Sandy needed some more work. I was kind mm-hmm. of like, at the moment, she's a plot device and I don't want that. I want her to be deep and I want her to have agency. So that was something that I did give a lot of attention to as we worked through it again. Um, I think as a male writer, that's something I always want to keep in mind as well is I do find it easiest to write from a male perspective because that is my own experience. And that's Mm. what I feel like I can speak to. But then at the same time, like women are such a huge part of the world, you know, they're half the population and most of the best people I know are them. So like It's something I always want to push myself to do is to create really fulfilled characters that offer something to the story and, you know, maybe touch on that other perspective without trying to take it and make it my own. Um, So Xanthi was someone I workshopped a lot and I felt like by the time we got to the end of that second, third draft, she really was kind of one of the shining lights of the story. So I am really pleased with how she turned out as a character. And so, you know, when you ask, was it contrived? Was it really intentional that she had those moments of realness? I think it was in a way that I wanted her to, you know, have a really strong voice and I wanted her to be a very authentic character, but it wasn't, I didn't want to force those emotional moments either. I never felt forced um, at all.
0: And it's, it, it is interesting. Um, and I totally get what you're saying with the the plot device, the, having a character as a plot device and not finding that to be good enough and then changing that with, with different rewrites. Um, it's not something that's necessarily, it's, it's probably one of the most difficult uh, aspects, at least for me, well, But perhaps your, your experience is different, but to, to write that sort of authenticity as well um, definitely takes a lot of time and attention.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. What else I was going to, so we've talked about characters, we've talked about the realism there. Let's go to the big picture stuff. Um, I don't, I kind of want to tread foot a little bit around it because I don't want um, this fantastic mind melting ending to, to be <laughs> unveiled in any way, shape or form. But I wanted to know, and you mentioned it early on about this, this feeling that, uh, you know, this was a love letter to writing. This was, you know, the summation of, of all your passions with when it comes to writing. And again, this kind of also huckers back, like what's the chicken? What's the egg? What develops first? What develops first? What drives first? But you, you're touching on some very big picture stuff there, Sefer, that particularly at the end when you start revealing some stuff. And I wanted to know, one, if that was kind of uh, something that had always been sort of burbling there at the outset of the writing of it. And two, how you went about weaving that together because there's this giant overall, again, mind-bending sort of reveal. And I wondered how, because I assume that would be very daunting and how you went about doing that.
1: Yeah, so the the twist ending was always there. That okay. was always a big part of the story. Um in fact it was it was even at that early days, you know, when I mentioned that it was a weirder, quirkier story, um, there was a basilisk involved in my emotional context. version of it. Um, so it was very weird and bizarre. That was still there. Like hmm. so that linchpin ending, which we won't give away, but you know, which people can read to, that was always the goal I was moving towards. Um, And then so a lot of the other elements of the story, like the Hobbes, the forest, the place itself, they kind of trickled back from that. Um, Bellevue was not my first manuscript. It's the first one I've had published, but I think it was kind of the third or fourth book I've written. So I did have, you know, feelings about writing. I had feelings about the way characters work. Um, A lot of Bellevue is kind of about the way characters come to life for you as a writer. You know, when you're dealing with them every day, they kind of become real people to you. So that's a lot of what this story is about. It's about that relationship you have with those characters and the little world you're creating. Um, So those things were all there already. And, you know, I did have, you mentioned it's daunting. Like, yeah, it was. It absolutely was daunting. But then it wasn't my first go. I don't think I could have done it. It was my (laughs) first attempt at a novel. Um, But it meant that I had some idea of things that work and things that don't work. And so, you know, when I was doing this, I don't think I cornered myself or got caught in some of the traps that I might have otherwise. Interesting. I feel that maybe it was because
0: you the high concept stuff is not, there's no 50 pages at the very outset that's expo- the exposition of law building and all that sort of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And in some regards, it reminded me, I'm not sure if you've read him, and if you, if you haven't, you absolutely should, but China Meville, you read China Meville? You know, I haven't, but he's one that has come up many, many times you and it's on my list. You absolutely yeah. must. And the first one that you must read, because in some respects, um, you're what reminded me of it, um, in that it was very, very different stories, um, but it was... Uh, a novel of his called *The City in the City*, and what it is is a high concept idea that would be daunting and probably dry if it was, you know, spent within you know 100 pages of exposition and law building. But because it's presented within this sort of mystery of of like a who done it, um, it's very digestible. And I was wondering if that was the case again with with what you've what you've penned here with *Welcome to Bellevue*, because obviously, um, the the main portion of it at least starting off, is Harry just trying to figure out what the fuck is going on and what, you know, why he's seemingly trapped here. So I wondered if that was something that you had also thought about or if it just maybe hadn't given much thought to it, but that's sort of how it all turned out. Maybe we've been redrafting this high concept sort of buried within the scope of this one narrator, just trying, simply trying to figure out what's going on, maybe try and get it out.
1: I think, um, you know, big ideas and high concepts, as you say, are something that are really essential to... A creative and a challenging and a fun writing practice. Um, You know, you mentioned China Meville. Is that how we say it? Yeah. I think so. I think so. I am an A, A, so Meville. Yeah, China Meville. You mentioned him there, and, you know, I am really interested to read his work because it's someone that I've wanted to for a while. Um, Another one that I recently read was The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. She's a pretty prodigious sci-fi writer i think but this was kind of her first foray into urban fantasy um which you know a long time ago i spoke to an agent and she was like urban fantasy is a hard sell Mm. but i think that there's some cool stuff coming out in that space um i mean you can look at other big sellers like stephen king neil gaiman margaret atwood these are all people who will take on these big ideas or these high concepts but then just tell like a really relatable story um if I had to you know pick a career I wanted to have those are the kind of stories I would want to tell or stories that are compelling stories that are readable stories that are entertaining enough that you can read them at an airport but then you might also walk away and talk about them with your friends and you know kind of question what was going on there I think that and this is something I'm currently working on in my doctoral studies is that you know writers do kind of have a function in society I think it's we're there to talk about these things. We're there to take on big ideas and challenge it. I don't think it's strictly just entertainment or art for art's sake. I think there's a lot happening in the literary space.
0: I'm total bring it with you, and I feel like you—that was a discourse that you kind of presented within the, the narrative. I'm welcome to Bellevue. I think that there was a couple of times when um, Harry and Zamfi discussed it, and then later on uh, at the reveal that we should not go into. Um, how important, how important stories are, how important they are, No, no matter, no matter seemingly ostensibly how surreal a location might be otherworldly, it's, they're, they're all in some real sort of base way, relatable and essential to sort of present any sort of really contemporary, very, very ongoing and important issues within maybe not a direct in your face way, but nevertheless, will it kind of incite
1: this sort of discourse? Is that what you mean? Absolutely. I mean, you know, you've touched on something there, which is one of my favorite topics of all time, which is how important stories are, you know, where storytelling animals like that's what all of humanity is about, basically, whether it's watching Netflix or writing an email to your mom, like that is all storytelling. Um, and the way we communicate, the way we share these ideas, the way we move forward as a society is through our ability to tell those stories. And, you know, it can be used for good or evil. But I think that it's really important it's really important we tune into that as both producers and consumers.
0: Absolutely. Look, I wanted to, I was, I was really interested because there's, there's a few times, um, I mean, Harry wonders out loud or questions it. And there's, there's a few sort of religious overtones that I wanted to see if there was, if that was something that was, was just, it just happened by proxy. It happened organically by wondering about this, but there's one time where he wonders if it's purgatory within the sort of, you know, like derived from the most sort of base Christian understanding of it. And I wondered if that was something that you wanted to challenge or if that was something that derived from actual religious doctrine or text. Or did that just sort of, again, happen organically and it was just a sounding board?
1: Um, So, I mean, I myself am not a particularly religious person, Mm. but I, you know, I do believe in like higher powers and spirituality. And I think there is something driving the world out there um but what i find compelling in that space is the stories that are told you know it's a mythology like any other um you know when i grew up i was a kid i was fascinated by greek mythology and as i've gotten older that's just expanded you know to Norse, egyptian christian um and i think that you know there's some powerful stories in there so you know those were ideas that i did want to play with a little bit not in terms of you know, really adhering to that doctrine or drawing on it and trying to make a really explicit kind of parallel and discussion. Um, But I think it is a great vehicle for a story and a great vehicle for discussion in that regard. Um, Yeah. And I mean, it's a mythology that most people in our current culture here in Australia are familiar with. Um, And so, you know, you may not be a practicing Catholic, but you may, you know, you know what purgatory is. You've heard that story before. So it's something that you can engage with as you go through the narrative in that way. It is, it, it's true. And I mean, everyone, um,
0: be they raised I don't know, card carrying atheist or agnostic or, you know, devoutly religious of, of whatever, you know, denomination it is, can apply to any of your beliefs or, you know, make your mind engaged in that wondering, you know, what, what would, what this, this realm would be that it's an inescapable realm. What about doing that with the marrying of that? And you've mentioned it briefly, the, you know, there's, there's a few, it's again, you've never really beaten one, a reader's head over, over the head with it in terms of the pop culture references and stuff like that. But I wanted to know, I feel like there was some definitely some certainly Lynchian influences. I must admit one that I wanted to run past you was mm-hmm. the video game Mist, like the very OG old school early mid nineties. That's That was the vibe I was picking up for, for quite a
1: large portion of reading this book. You know, I'm familiar with it. Um, and I did have a go actually. I remember my family's old Mac, like, you know, one of the the kind of eggshell colored ones. We had Miz and I could never get past like, I think the first room you wake mm-hmm. up in like a lighthouse or something. And I just couldn't even figure that out. So it's really interesting that you mentioned that. And this is one of the things that's cool is, um, you know, when it went through the editorial process, Bellevue went through a kind of unique editorial process, which we can probably circle back to later, but there were student editors involved. And, you know, they all were sticking up their hands the first time I met them being like, oh, were you referencing this writer? Or were you referencing this movie? And, you know, I had like my little list of people I had referenced and drawn on. And then there were ones I hadn't even heard of ones I hadn't even read. And they were bringing it to this story and they were like, oh, there's a connection there. And I was just so thrilled with that. And so I'm ecstatic to hear you mention Mist as well because I hadn't zeroed in on that one. Well, no
0: one's mentioned that one yet. No one's mentioned that one yet. That's, that, that's no gonna... that one really? Yet. Okay.
1: Interesting. Interesting. And so I think it's cool. Once you create this story and you know, you start weaving in these little threads and Easter eggs, and this is the same with any novel. Like A reader's always going to bring their own experience to it, right? Like We talk about literature and books being this really collaborative thing um you can write what you want to write you can tell the story the way you want to tell it and you can put it out in there in the world but you have no control over how people are going to read it and i was always told that and i always believed it was true but i never really understood how true it was until interactions like we had just then we were like oh it was definitely drawn on this video game." um and it's cool, I think that that's really, really exciting to be someone you know producing and having people run with your story that way. It's thrilling. <laughs> it is thrilling and, and
0: and you're right I mean there's no two no two people will have the same reading or you know influence of what they'll derive from from potentially being influencers uh, within a text that they've read. I feel like one of the most mind blowing things, particularly about the medium of reading is that you it's it's such a symbiotic. Way Absolutely. of storytelling because there's there's no real, there's no other way really like it because if you if you, you know and I'm a huge film fanatic but film is something whereby a vision has been shown to you you can interpret it however which way you want obviously and again some somewhat along the same lines where uh, people go okay well I saw that or you know this influence but the thing with with reading is just by virtue of the actual activity it's someone's imagination and your imagination so what you've said. And then what they've envisioned from your words and expanded upon, no two, one, it's unknowable. Like you, you never know exactly what someone else is saying in their imagination's mind's eye. Mm-hmm. And two, it's, it's just, yeah, no two can ever be the same. And, you know, even, even you as the creator can say, oh, wow, well, I never saw that. And, you know, the subjectivity of that stuff is just absolutely
1: mind blowing in terms of practice. If I have a question for you here, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Whoa. I've been, Whoa. Yeah, my, um, my partner was telling me the other day that she had a conversation with her boss. And her boss was saying that she can't actually visualize things. Uh, there's a proper term for it, which now escapes me. But basically, if someone says to her, visualize the ocean, she her imagination doesn't create that image. It just recalls the ocean. She remembers what the ocean is as a concept. And then... So my partner and I were talking about, like, you know, how do you imagine characters when you see them? And I realized, for me, a character in my mind when I read a book or when I write a book, they're slightly abstract. There will be those key traits that I write on paper, like, you know, dark hair, like really tall. But then beyond that, it'll kind of be a little bit blurry, and she said she was the same. And then we spoke to someone else who was like, oh no, I imagine like an explicit person or I remember someone who I think looks like this person. And so I'm always really fascinated by the way people imagine characters. And so I guess for someone like you, who's thinking about this a lot, I'm curious how you see and how you visualize these things.
0: That's a very good question. Very good question. Um, for me, it's two different two different, um Styles really for me it, for, for my my own writing particularly like long form it would be the the former that you touched on which was the blurriness so, so obviously there's key details in which you you see um, for me when I'm reading not always but quite a lot of the time depending upon how it's written and how much I'm engaged with with what the person's writing it will usually um, fabricate itself into the, uh, uh, an actor or someone I know friend family colleague someone I've seen on the street um and then if you're really starting to get into the real kind of like nitty-gritty cerebral stuff there's a apparently some believe that dreams they're never they're, it's never a complete fabrication of the mind the people's faces that you see There always has to be yeah. something that's been committed to memory and it can be from decades ago mm-hmm. you know so then you get you starting to get into the real deep shit there Seth but yes in answer to your question in the simplest form um, when it's my stuff, my stuff, yeah. blurry. When it's me reading other people, um, I have a tendency to kind of visualize someone quite clearly.
1: Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. I hadn't. You're the first I've heard who's had two different takes on it. So that's cool. Awesome. Awesome. Look, you kind of touched on what I wanted to next
0: get to because you thanked in the acknowledgements you said, um, paraphrasing, but it was something like uh, it takes a village to raise a child. Much the same, it takes a village to raise a a book to its to its full maturity tell me a little bit about that and your experience of that because yeah that's, it sounds like and, and you thanked a lot of people by name in the acknowledgments and it sounds like it was a really awesome collaborative process which is so great to hear because there can be some you know right horror stories so tell me about yeah. that and how that changed
1: so Bellevue was published in a really interesting way um I mentioned that you know, this wasn't my first manuscript and you know, I had had two others before this one really that had been to the point where I was shopping them around. Um, one, I ended up kind of getting repped by a relatively big agent in New York. I kind of was told like, oh, if you're with this guy, you know, it's a home run. Like, he gets six figure deals for debut authors. And I was like, fantastic, here we go, career's taken off. Um, and then that just kind of fizzled and it didn't happen. And I was really frustrated by that, you know, and it really it was something that was really hard for me to deal with in terms of like, "Oh, I thought I made it, and now I haven't." Mm-hmm. And I think one of the challenges there was that I had this very set image in my mind of who a writer was, um, and that was someone who sits at a cafe for a few hours a day and busts out their bestseller and makes their living that way. Um, So after having that experience, I went and did my master's at the University of Melbourne in creative writing, publishing, and editing. Um, And that really kind of opened my eyes to the fact that a writer is someone who can have a very varied practice. You know, as you mentioned yourself, you write your own work. I think you do reviews and such as well, and opinion pieces, and then you host a podcast. And I think that's a fantastic example of who a writer can be in society now. Like, you have this holistic, diversified practice that says... I'm a writer. Um, and having that realization as part of realizing that I was like, there are other ways to kind of publish. And that was really cool to learn. Um, so I started speaking a bit with the university there and they actually have something called Grattan Street Press, which is a teaching press where postgrad students can take this class and they're taught by industry professionals who have experience as publishers and editors. And then they create the book, so you know, some students will fill that editorial role, others will be the marketers, the social media, they have graphic designers, they'll do the book design. Um, so, Bellevue was picked up by one cohort who kind of did the submission, and then a second cohort did the editorial work on it to get it to an ebook, and then another group kind of marketed that ebook, and then it actually like a fourth cohort got the print edition out last year. And then now we're kind of onto like the fifth group, I think who have worked with it over the last couple of years who are now kind of marketing it and getting it out there. And so I think a, this is fantastic from an education perspective because, you know, as students you get to create something, you know, and all these students can go to publishers and be like, here's this book that I published, my name's in the back. And then for me as an, author it was really really cool to have this opportunity to be involved in the whole process i don't think that many writers get to do that when their work is published Definitely. Um, so it was really collaborative the entire way through and really educational for all of us and you know more than anything else my book's out there now and i'm really happy about it and it's kind of really exciting to see how this can kind of be a foundation for future work as well and future opportunities
0: I love saying that, man, because yeah, um, the 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 writing landscape in the publishing world and the consumer public—it's it can be uh, very difficult for for um, even very you know superlative quality writing to to get out there properly, particularly with original ideas, um, particularly with anything that we've we've kind of touched on the, the difficulties inherent in trying to pigeonhole it into safe. Uh, sort of genres, you know, for the consumer public. Um, I love hearing that. That's a really, really good initiative that Grand Street Press has, has got going on, and I'm hoping that that's uh, something in which other universities, academia, or otherwise, or just other like-minded fellows and souls will kind of band together to to do that. Because yes, that would be a beautiful thing to see. Because it's still relatively in its infancy. It's the first time I've really encountered it uh, within the Australian scape, anyway. So I'm hoping. Seth, that you are the first of, of many, albeit one of the first of many to kind of
1: develop like that. I hope so too. I think it's pretty unique. I think there are a couple others in the Northern Hemisphere, but I don't think there's anything locally that's similar to it. Yeah. Um, I think well, that's one of the cool things we're seeing in publishing now is that people are realizing they can drive their own scene. You know, he mm. as the artists and the reviewers are the scene. So you've seen some cool new lit journals launching in the last couple of years. I think, I think people are thinking about different ways they can create change in the industry and be part of it. Um, You know, like podcasting, things like starting your own lit journal, starting your own festival. I think it's really cool. It's a cool way to see the scene evolve.
0: Man, it is, it is really cool. Look, Seth, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. What I just wanted to end on is future projects. I know that, you know, Welcome to Bellevue is, you, you know, you're still getting it out there and promoting it. And it's still relatively in its infancy as well. But you mentioned uh, there's another novel in the works, Grace, I think.
1: Grace is in the works. It's, um, I'm currently completing my Doctor of Arts. Um, and, you know, my research is on some of the things we've talked about. It's about you know, the function of writers in society. It's about those big ideas. It's about addressing challenges like climate change and the pandemic and leadership. Um, So Grace is a novel about all of those things. And it's the novel I'm producing as part of that. It's currently at its draft stage working with the editor. So I'm hoping to kind of have that circulated into the world in the next year or so. Um, I think the novel will be done far before the doctorate is done. I think the exegesis part is going to take a lot longer. Um, Otherwise I've actually been doing a lot of short fiction lately, which is not something I've done a huge amount of before. I've always been a really um, enthusiastic long form writer, but I've been 2020 was my year for short stories. So I've been working on some of those and trying to get those out into the world as well. So that's been really thrilling. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Well, it sounds like there's a lot on the horizon of Seth Robinson. So Look, man, thank you so much for talking to me, asking me a question. That's, uh, that's I don't get that all that much. Particularly, it wasn't a, it wasn't a very easy question. It was very <laughs> densely layered. So, yeah, look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Seth. Thank you so much for being on The Right Way.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's been awesome to be here.
0: So everyone, that was Seth Robinson discussing with me his debut novel, Welcome to Bellevue. I'm going to add the link to the bio of the or bio or description, whichever which way you want to call it, to this episode on Spotify for the link to Grattan Street Press. Grattan Street Press, which is the folks that published uh, Seth's debut novel, so you're going to be able to get your little hands on a copy of it there big thanks to Seth Robertson for appearing on the program discussing Welcome to Bellevue uh as I always like to say maybe I am a broken record but I don't think you will begrudge me too much for that but do stay tuned to the podcast got a whole bunch more episodes coming up for your hearing pleasure and also be sure if you haven't already to go back listen to that uh, ever-proliferating catalog of other episodes with other awesome writers, directors, creative types. Uh, And yeah, thank you so much for listening. And you all have yourselves a magical Sunday afternoon, evening, and next week.